Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. I'm such a rule follower and I'm very moralistic, so in general for me the pandemic was like I would not take a risk under any circumstances, but even with the show it became even more intense and so I was living in complete isolation. It was really just me and Monica. Wild. <laughs> Monica was my only, my only friend to talk to. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of In the Envelope. <laughs> I'm Jack. I'm joined here by another very special guest, a frequent special favorite guest on the podcast, Katie Menard. Would you like to introduce yourself or reintroduce yourself to listeners? Yeah, as a, a favorite, apparently. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I'm uh, Katie Menard. I'm the social media manager at Backstage. I uh, manage all our social media. <laughs> It's pretty self-explanatory, yeah. Yes, it is, really. Uh, it's very descriptive. <laughs> and now is a great time to have you back on the podcast because, first of all, today's guest is Beanie Feldstein. The big voice fan. The just heard. Are you a big fan? Do you want to tell listeners what poster you have hanging on the wall right in front of you? I have a giant Booksmart poster I'm currently sitting in front of. <laughs> um, Lady Bird is my favorite movie, uh, period. Yeah. I already have multiple tickets to see her in Funny Girl. Oh, really? <laughs> I oh, do, amazing. yeah. I mean, that's just the pinnacle of my interests. Um, that's amazing. The, those projects you just mentioned, Lady Bird and Booksmart, are very much what kind of solidified, I would say, Beanie Feldstein's star status. But now, can we say she's like a full-blown A-lister, award contender in multiple areas, multiple projects? I mean, she basically is in, in three areas this coming year. I mean, we've got Impeachment, The Humans, and Funny Girl. TV, film, and theater. She does True it all. True triple threat. <laughs> Absolutely. Beanie was probably one of the best interviews we've had on this podcast because she gets backstage. She knows backstage. She loves backstage. Mm -hmm. Instinctive. Absolutely. That's what it is. She knows what I'm going to ask. She knows that we're here to talk about the craft and career mm -hmm. advice. She knows how to give that advice to her fellow mm -hmm. artists. She's kind of the dream. Rich really is. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much more to say. I mean, we should mention that impeachment, who does she play on impeachment? Um, Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> Monica Lewinsky. For those who don't know, who've been living in a hole, um, American Crime Story's newest installment is all about the impeachment trial of Bill Clinton. And uh, it really centers on Beanie Feldstein's mm -hmm. Monica Lewinsky. Which is a daunting task. Very. Um, for anyone, I would say. But Beanie gets into it. And, and again, it, it's about the distinction between the stage process versus the screen mm -hmm. process. And she really sheds light on that. Um, is that all we have to say about Beanie Feldstein? We just got to get to this interview. I mean, I could do a TED Talk about the line read of, <laughs> of it is the titular role. Like, yes. I mean, it's iconic at this point, but. I was going to joke that today's episode of In the Envelope, Beanie Feldstein plays the envelope and it's the titular <laughs> it role. It is the titular role. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that would be our, our Tempest. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I really think, it's really nice getting to see Beanie's rise from, you know, an emerging talent to a huge leading lady awards contender in, in multiple acting avenues. Totally. I really have my fingers crossed for a lot of these mm -hmm. acting avenues, as you say. Um, but speaking of emerging talent. <laughs> I segued. <laughs> really great segue into this week's backstage issue. And I do think that, yeah, Beanie Feldstein is 
can we say emerged talent? I feel like she's like the uh, ideal end result. Yeah. Of the emerging talent character arc. <laughs> yeah, that sweet spot of what backstage we we at backstage just really like to highlight the up and comers mm-hmm. and. This week in the magazine and on the website, we are doing that with an emerging talent portfolio, mm-hmm. which we will link to in the episode description and the article that goes with this piece. Um, but Katie, what else is going on in, in like in that issue or from your end on social? Yeah, I mean, we have our uh, cover story interview is with uh, Ariana mm-hmm. DeBose, who, I mean, very similar. I'm sure people listening to this episode will be familiar and also a fan mm-hmm. of hers. Um, someone who is also emerged from from the Broadway mm. stage to uh, be an awards contender in film and worked on a Ryan Murphy project of late oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and done stage to film adaptations, uh, also taking on another iconic role in oh. a different way of, yes. of Anita in West Side Story. Uh, so exciting. It's this, it's this thing of like about to be a household name where I feel yes. like Beanie's just made that transition just made it, and yeah. Aria de Demos is like making that transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's backstage's sweet spot. Yeah. Anyway, this is all so great. Anything else with that emerging talent issue? Anything else we got to plug, Katie? Are you already getting ready to live tweet some shows? I feel like I just did it. (laughs) It's interesting. There's no such thing as awards season. There's not a season anymore. And that was already happening before COVID, but it really pushed things around. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for the SAG Awards are especially fun for backstage because they're, you know, Same. actors first. That's our traditional primary audience. So those are always fun. And I love that the SAGs have ensemble categories. I feel like that's something lacking right? in a lot in every other award show. <laughs> Way to plug that. Yeah, I completely I really agree. do. That's that's kind of my favorite thing about the SAGs is I, I love that they have ensemble recognition same i mean acting is a team sport you actually just tied it back to beanie feldstein i was gonna say i mean thinking about like the humans that's like totally an ensemble yeah it's six actors acting as one and she really she speaks to that like that is her process and that's exciting for me to watch just as an audience member I, i i love a good ensemble when an ensemble of actors is greater than the sum of their parts Mm -hmm. those are my favorite performances Mm -hmm. for sure well thank you katie um one last thing i have to mention to listeners is this podcast has been airing weekly but psa that going forward as of next week we're taking uh next week off due to thanksgiving but then we will continue to air episodes every other week for the most part there will still be certain times of year when we have plenty of guests as we've done in the past but for the most part, we are switching from weekly to bi-weekly. Every other week means bi-weekly. Yes. Sometimes bi-weekly means twice a week. <laughs> it's every other right? week. Every other week is the better way of putting it. Because when people say bi-annually, they sometimes mean twice a year and they sometimes mean every other year. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> um, thank you, Katie, for joining us. Do you want to make sure that listeners are following along with your with Backstage's social media accounts? Yeah, follow, follow Backstage on social. We're on... Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn. Follow Backstage's TikTok. YouTube. Yeah, follow our TikTok. Um, Well, thank you so much, Katie. Let's take a quick break and then get to this interview with the one and only (gasps) Beanie Feldstein. Yay! This podcast is, of course, brought to you, listeners, by Backstage. Listen, aside from all the great inspiration and tips and all of that stuff we offer for free, like this amazing podcast, Backstage also gives you access to incredible casting calls all over the world. That is why it's the world's number one casting platform. If you're curious or if you're an actor yourself and you really want to jumpstart your career and you're ready to take the advice and the inspiration you've heard here in this very episode and use it, go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code ENVELOPE. E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E. That's, again, 30 days completely free to try backstage where you can make a profile, upload a headshot, upload a reel, start browsing the casting notices, and start applying to jobs because who knows, maybe one day I'll be interviewing you. Again, that's backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code ENVELOPE. (laughs) 
Beanie Feldstein, a theater kid through and through, is now a veritable film and TV star, recently portraying Monica Lewinsky on FX's Impeachment American Crime Story and starring in A24's horror film The Humans from Stephen Karam. Her breakout roles in Neighbors 2 Sorority Rising and the SAG-nominated Lady Bird led to an award-winning turn in Olivia Wilde's Booksmart, and she'll next feature in the years-long filming of Richard Linklater's Merrily We Roll Along and return to Broadway this spring as Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl. Here is the irresistible Beanie Feldstein. Beanie Feldstein, I'm so excited to talk to you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? It's all happening here today. It's happening. It's Monday. It's happening. Um, (laughs) You know backstage. Do you know backstage? Of course. (laughs) What's your, um, what is your history with backstage? I think my early, well, see, I wasn't really a child actor in any real sense of the word. Yeah. But my parents, um, always encouraged my love of the arts and, and really encouraged my love of theater specifically. Um, and we're very open to me doing as much as I can within the theater space because theater is very different than film and television. Uh-huh. Where if you get one show, which spoiler alert, I did not. Um, but if you did uh, <laughs> and you went to Broadway or you did a professional production, eventually you would be too tall or too, you know, you would outgrow this situation. And so it wouldn't be like you're missing your entire adolescence. It was just, it would just have been like, you're missing a year, fifth grade or eighth grade or, you know. Um, Mm. So they were letting, they let me audition for theater, all that to say. Um, And I remember going to get the physical copies to see if there were any auditions in LA. And I, and I will say that I did, um, I never got anything on Broadway, but I did uh, audition for a production of Annie in La Mirada, California. Um, uh-huh. And I ended up playing Kate, one of the orphans. In, okay. <laughs> um, but I think we must have found the audition in backstage. Very cool. That's so lovely. This makes sense to me that, because um, of course I was going to ask, what's the kind of origin story of your background in the arts with your, you have two parents who were, is it safe to say kind of in the industry, but more like adjacent to the industry? And yeah. so for your acting dreams, they were like, let's go kind of go the theater route to keep this, I don't know, to <laughs> keep her safer than. <laughs> I, I think like, you know, I could not have had more supportive parents as far as like my mom schlepping me to my community theater after school every day to do, oh, yeah. you know, every uh, rehearsal for every musical from the age of like seven. Um, so they were so supportive, um, but they also really saw that I really loved school and I, I was a very academic person. Sure. Um, and they wanted to, I think they did an incredible job of kind of honoring each of us where we were at and they could see that I was a very academic young person and child and, and that I loved school. And so they were trying to, you know, they explained to me, like, if you were to get a sitcom or something, you would, Mm. that would eliminate your entire ability to go to school in the typical way. And they could see that that mattered to me. So, um, but they were really encouraging, but they just, they wanted me to enjoy school and, and kind of have that time as well. And then I was the one when I got a little bit older that decided to go to college in the more traditional route. And, um, not pursue a BFA program, even though so many of my dearest friends were going that route. And it's such Mm. a a beautiful choice for me. School really mattered. And I wanted um, that kind of true academic experience over an artistic experience. So it ended up me to, you know, the the tables kind of turned later in my life where I was the one that was like, school really matters to me. And my parents were kind of shocked. They thought that I would do, specifically, my mom definitely thought I would do a Carnegie Mellon, CCM, UMIS, sort of um, musical theater training. And Mm -hmm. as beautiful as those schools are, for me, it was like definitely right to pursue a more purely academic uh, time, I guess, uh, experience. So, uh, yeah. It's so great that you knew that because I imagine that especially with Stage Door Manor, that (laughs) a lot of your peers are going the conservatory route. That's the path. I think we were really split my year, actually. Like, oh. um, a few of us were in the, like, Wesleyan, Northwestern sort of 
place of things where you're going to a school that has incredible arts, but isn't um, a purely BFA situation. And then so many of my friends, of course, went, went that route. And I, yeah, it was definitely, um, yeah, it was unexpected. I think, I think like my early (laughs) high school years, I was convinced that I would do that. And then something sort of shifted my junior year of high school. And I sort of really started to acknowledge how much I loved school and, um, that I hadn't really been honoring that side of myself as much. And mm. I was like, I really think that I need the next four years. I need to allow myself to honor that side of my brain and that That's side great. of my personhood and my identity. And um, it ended up being totally the right decision. And I still did. I think I did 14 shows at Wesleyan. Uh, oh, wow. All just like directed by students or, yeah. or you know, uh, the whole creative team was students versus like uh, department. But yeah, I was still always doing theater. There was never yeah. a world where I wasn't gonna wasn't gonna do theater. So, like you knew that it's this it's this great. I feel like um, right off the bat, this is great advice for especially like teens, kid actors, like at the beginning of their career. Like it is about knowing as best you can the best educated guess for what it is that you want or need in terms of your education. Mm-hmm. And I, I obviously we always ask like what is what was the initial goal? What was the initial dream? But as you've just pointed out, it shifts. It just changes all the time. It probably still is for you, right? Oh my God. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. I think, yeah, I mean, I would say from the time I was three to fifteen, I would have said purely <laughs> musical theater and then kind of Broadway 16 17 18 I thought I'm really a student and I and I want to explore that side of myself and then the first um professional opportunities that I got were in film and television which was such a surprise to me Hmm. um and really a medium that I did not um know you know I always say that for theater you can really practice like when I was doing my shows at the Morgan Wixon Theater on Pico Boulevard in, in LA and San yes. Monica, like true community theater, I was doing the youth musicals at a community theater. But for me, I took it just as seriously and everyone around me took it just as seriously as a situation where you were being paid. Totally. And even I remember even when I was rehearsing for Hello, Dolly, I thought, you know, <laughs> And our incredible director at the Morgan Wixon, who works for a lawyer during the day and just does this as her passion, like, uh, and taught me everything I needed to know to get here. And like, mm. I, I really believe that you can practice professional musical theater, you know, to be yes. a professional musical theater artist, you have the place to practice, which is student theater, community theater, to go to a program. But for film and television, you can't emulate what it's like to be on a professional set. There's no kind of because it takes so much money and so many people and equipment and all of these things that can't necessarily be emulated at a high school or middle school like you can with theater where you sure. really all put your heads together, you rehearse for eight weeks, and then you put on a show, you know? Um, mm. So it was so new to me. And now um, I think it's it's a, a medium that I've fallen in love with. Like I sort of see my, my 20s as like this period of time where I, I was falling in love with film and television yeah. um, in a way that my whole life I'd love theater, but this feels like a new sort of addition to my love of acting. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's sort of like, okay, you play, you're an athlete, but are you a swimmer or do you play basketball? Like they, they really feel oh. different. Yeah. Um, and so I sort of thought, what if I, what if I a, don't like it or B don't know how to do it? Mm-hmm. I actually feel way less nervous on a set than I do on stage, um, which has been like a really unique surprise to me. I sure. think I, I grew up on stage. Um, I don't know. I think, I think it's cause I love it so much that I put oh. like, there's like expectations and pressure that come from like my childhood and my childhood self and all of that. Whereas with film and television, I am actually never really that nervous. I just sort of feel like a sponge. I'm just trying to like soak sure. all the, kind of knowledge and goodness that I, that I can. Yeah. I mean, and I'm definitely going to ask you about the humans because I feel like the humans is relevant to, to that topic. But like you're saying, film and TV is, is trial and error or it's a trial by fire. There's no, uh, (laughs) right. And so what are the overlaps in terms of the craft, in terms of like approaching a character that you're creating for the stage versus the camera? 
I mean, so much of it is um, the way that you start is exactly the same. I think of who is this girl or this Mm. person, you know, who is this person? Um, What what about them do I feel like, you know, in the Venn diagram of the character and of me, like where does it overlap? Um, And then what do I need to sort of take away from my own instincts or push forward in my own instincts and, and, you know, um, kind of navigate what parts of Beanie I need to sort of tuck away and what Hmm. parts of Beanie I need to sort of push forward. And then kind of, if you're playing someone real as I have recently, um, you have to layer in the historical truth of the moment, any video footage that you have, um, you know, to create the exact person that, that that person is or was, and when you're crafting something that is fictional, um, then you kind of just get to layer in everything else that just kind of comes instinctually from whatever is on the page. But I think the beginning is the same. For me, it's the actual performing of it that is so different. Because mm-hmm. with theater, all of your energy comes from the experience of liveness. Like you are out there with your castmates, with the crew, and if something goes wrong, there's no trying it again. You have to just like, and the audience is right there with you and there's this like incredible energy. Um, I just got to see Adrian Warren in her second to last performance as Tina. Uh, oh my God. And like the energy that, <laughs> that she was giving us as the audience and the audience was giving her, it was just, oh, you could feel it like hanging in the air. Um, And with film and TV, there's none of that. Yeah. And the energy has to come from sort of within, I think. And also there's this thing of you're never going to do this again. So like today is the only day that I'm going to play Monica at the grand jury. You know, this is the only time. So Mm. there's the stakes feel very high in that way. Whereas with Peter, you think, okay, later today I can fix the thing that I to yeah. nail this afternoon. You know, there's if that mistake that. happens, you get to do it over. Yeah. Exactly. So I think the source of energy feels mm. very different. But where I kind of where you start is sort of the same of like who That's so cool. Yeah. And so and but in and of course you're already answering all my questions, by the way. Just tell me when to stop talking. <laughs> I know you have a theater kid brain and so like I know I know this is gonna be so good. You're already so good at talking about the craft. But like this this notion of invention versus recreating I want to get to with Monica but as far as invention invention is as you're saying it's the part of every role no matter what the role is and there's research and there's backstory do you invent backstory are you doing detailing like of course I'm super fascinated in the idea of the Venn diagram between you and the character you know I'm I'm uh I think it really depends on the project you know I'm such a, as, as myself, I'm such a people person. So for me, it's often, um, no matter what the dynamic is with your castmate, um, like whatever dynamic you're playing, for me, I always just feel like I can go my deepest and do my best if I know the people around me. So whether that's like uh. other castmates or the, or the crew is another imperative part of the process of like, like I could cry right now, but like, I cried saying goodbye to our camera operators at the end of impeachment because Mm. those two guys like Eric and Jamie were this, you know, one foot for me half the time that we were shooting. And if I didn't trust them and ask them about their kids and know them, I wouldn't have been able to do my job because Hmm. I as Beanie have to be comfortable. Like I have to like, and for me being comfortable is knowing everyone and being like in a team, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I really got emotional saying goodbye to them. And I, when I think about the experience of filming the show, I think about the crew just as much as my castmates because totally. they're also with you. And with theater, they're visible. I mean, excuse mm-hmm. me, but unlike with theater, in film, they're visible to you. So, right. you know... I always used to joke with Eric, our A camera operator, would be like, my job is to just like take a eraser and erase you from my field of vision. But really I'm like looking at him and a camera and Sarah Paulson 
as Linda Tripp. You know, it's like all of it is in your field of vision. So if I don't trust him and if I don't know that he is, we're all on the same mission, like I can't, mm. I, I can't really do my job. So, so much for me is like just feeling less like backstory and character and more just like finding my team. Um, sure. Yeah. And knowing, and then with theater, it's like, literally these people are going to catch you if you fall. Like Taylor Trent <laughs> physically peeled my body off of the ground <laughs> multiple times. Like he literally had to pick me up. Um, yes. So if I don't know that he's going to do that, then how can you go on stage with these people every night? Yeah. So, you can't be as committed to the performance if you're, if you don't have that faith. Yeah. yeah. And I think like this whole, um, I always say if, if, if someone to my family or like my partner, like if I ever, come off as like an ounce if there's an, an ounce of jadedness in me ever just like s- just smack it out of me or something like just sit uh, down and like because it, in my mind acting is a team sport there mm. is no me I like there is no whatever it doesn't matter what part you're doing you could not physically do it without everyone else around you so that to me is um like the most important thing is kind of like feeling yeah. my team and, and yeah, just getting to know people. I just have to like, and so like so great. with, with Booksmart, like mm. Caitlin and Olivia and I and Katie Silverman who wrote it, like we, we talked a lot about Molly and Amy and their backstory, but more we just got to know each other. You know, when yeah. we felt comfortable and we, well, we lived together. So that's a whole other thing. But yes. we, um, you know, like if we didn't, like if I didn't know that like I could walk into Caitlin's room with like toothpaste all over my face and she would like wipe it off. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that is, that is friendship. And so we yes. have to like, um, know mm. we be comfortable with one another. Not, I'm really not method. Like anyone that has ever worked with me would laugh. Like I'm like the least <laughs> person in the world, but I think the feeling of of trust with the people around you is like the most important thing. It's the most direct. It's so cool to hear that that's like the most direct inspiration for the work ethic, for like the professionalism of it, but also like the crafting of the characters. Because as you've said, you, I feel like specialize in these like female friendships or in this idea of like platonic love (laughs) in something like Booksmart, which I think is also sort of a twisted version of that in impeachment with yeah. Sarah Paulson. Um, but it's cool to hear that like for actors listening to this, that also consider themselves maybe like you, a theater trained person, or like you say, a people person, yeah. that's what might work for them. But you're saying for other people, maybe it is more bookish. Maybe there's a lot more research and backstory. Yeah. Maybe it's a lot more method. Yeah. Some people, you know, stay in character between takes. That's, that's their own. Yeah. And it sounds like you guys are just goofing off between takes. I'm, I'm a, uh, <laughs> what it, what it sounds like? My, my my partner said you're a cookie and a laugh between takes type of person. <laughs> a cookie too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, always a cookie. Always a, <laughs> a dairy free dessert in reach at all times. Um, but I yeah I don't know. I just for me personally, I have to sort of like conserve my energy. So if I mm. were um to stay in the accent or the character between takes, it would feel like expending sure. energy. Um, it's too much energy. I need to kind of conserve um, yeah. that within like a 16 hour day. You know, I, 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 I think like try to use the on and off kind of nature of filming to my advantage of like, mm. okay, this is when you have to be on. And then yeah. this is when you can like refuel, get to know someone, ask someone about their day. Mm. You know, have a snack, of course. Sure. Um, Those are great tips. You know, for TV, oh my God, for TV, I used all that time to be working on next day's stuff because there's just no time. I mean, I've never Mm. done television um, in this way before. I've been been very lucky to be a guest um, in other people's worlds, which is not as much of a, you know, workload. And with impeachment, we shot for 170 days. We shot for 10 months. And, you know, you could have six days, well, six pages wall to wall of dialogue one day, and then the next yeah. day the same thing, and you have to be prepared. So in between takes of, you know, if I would be in 
crying and, and having this, you know, big emotional scene in between, I would be running lines for tomorrow. So there was almost like no time to, to mm. lose. Um, and that running lines for tomorrow is a form of recharging because you are just shifting gears out of that heavy scene. Yeah, exactly. Like it's yeah. just like getting your head out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, Annika, who was our, one of our second ADs on impeachment, she was like, I've never seen someone come, come out of such an intense scene and just, I, I think it's almost like I crave the break. Like I, yeah. like not, um, not necessarily the break as far as like the rest, but like the break of the energy. Like I need to, sure. but I found it harder on impeachment than I ever had in the past. Like it used to come very easily to me. Um, there were certain days on, on impeachment where even I couldn't shake it between because it was just difficult and, and very raw. And um, Monica was very traumatized. And so even I couldn't sort of surrender to my instinct like I normally uh, would. So, yeah, it was that was a new experience for me, for sure. Well, and that definitely leads me to, um, and specifically with impeachment, you said this at a, at a Q&A recently moderated by Monica Lewinsky, which was fascinating so fascinating, um, that this was kind of your first drama. And that kind of blew my mind because I feel like on this, <laughs> I feel like in my speaking to actors, they always kind of s- deny that there's a difference. And they always say like, no, it's all the same drama comedy. I don't see them as different genres or anything. But to your point, this was your first time reenacting that kind of really lived in trauma, right? And like- Because it was a real, it's a, a real person story. That too. And mm-hmm. a living person who texts me um, and and yeah. calls me like it just had and is involved in the project. Yeah, it had a different um, emotional weight. Like the stakes were um, the stakes and the responsibility were level mm-hmm. were so kind of profoundly high mm-hmm. um, that I think it took it to a different place. But I think that every project is going to kind of or every opportunity is going to sort of fill you up in certain ways and deplete you in certain ways. And Mm. I think like for Hello Dolly, for instance, like the joy that would like radiate through my body when we would come off stage, just because it's such a joyful show and it's a farce and you're laughing and you're singing and you're, I got to dance so much. Like there was so much joy, but physically my body was, depleted like you know my shoulder would hurt my calves would hurt my neck like you know that that show was emotionally input like it was so joyful we would leave happier every single day than when we walked in but physically it was wearing a 20 pound dress every night and you know like it was tough on my body in a way that I've never experienced whereas impeachment was so um, emotionally taxing, but it didn't have that same like physical component to it, you know? Yeah. And and so it, each thing sort of has its own gives and takes. But I, I do think that, that, that um, being in a drama felt different. And also the medium, it was a simultaneous thing, you know, like I had only ever, the longest thing I'd ever filmed was 40 mm. days. And that was Neighbors 2, which was my first film where I was right. not in every day. So, but that was like the course of the film was 40 days. And then this was 170. So just the kind of all of that was so new. So I don't know if it was like just, I think it was a combination of both things, like the medium and the genre layered on top of one another. Because TV is almost got, it has a similarity to theater because it's long form. Right, right. Which, which I think I, People have asked me in the past, like, what's your favorite? And it it mm. doesn't, it doesn't, I can't say because it's like my childhood self and my adult self would have, I can't like <laughs> deny one for the other, you know, it's like, yeah. but the amazing thing about TV is just, you know, for impeachment, it, each episode was over an hour. We did 10 episodes. It was just the amount of time that you could spend with um, not only your character, but for the, in, inside the whole story. And it sort of um, fleshed things out deeper and deeper and deeper just because there's so sure. much more real estate to play with. Whereas with theater or with film, you only get two, two and a half hours with that character and mm. that story, you know? So I don't know, each yeah. one has their own like s- 
shiny pluses that I, I could never decide. And I, 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 when I got to work with Lori Metcalf um, and Tracy Letts on Lady Bird, I was so young. And I remember just thinking like, I just want to be like them. I just want, I mean, who doesn't sure. want to be like them? Hell, but <laughs> I just want to, you know, I remember Lori was promoting Lady Bird and doing a Dolls House Part 2. Uh-huh. And I thought that is, oh my The God. dream. Like that yeah. is what I want to do forever. And I feel so lucky, knock wood, that transcending medium and going in and out and um, yeah. has been a part of my journey just thus far. Um, and I hope to sort of always continue that because you always want to challenge and sure. inherently changing the medium is becomes a huge challenge after com- going from one into the other. Sure. Well, and the notion of um, long form TV too, especially for a project like this, where like it was also filmed before and then after kind of the pandemic, right? It was actually filmed entirely during the pandemic. Oh, okay. No, we were supposed to start in March yeah. 2020. We never did. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we started in truth in November 2020, first week of November, and we wrapped at the end of August. 2021. This like this project it defines your pandemic. Like when you look back on the pandemic, you're going to think about Monica Lewinsky, which oh, is so wild to me. One thousand percent. I mean, it uh, <laughs> in every possible way because when we, I was I was already prepared to start in March, obviously, but then when mm. we didn't start, it gave me even more time to go even deeper. Um, which is good. Which is good, and also, <laughs> um, you know, the research. And, and the portrayal was really, I've never been sort of gutted before by work and listening to, it gave me more time to basically re-listen and re-listen and re-listen to the Linda Tripp tapes. And as helpful as that, it was equal parts helpful because all you ever want as an actor is to know, like what your character's thinking and feeling on every given moment. And I had that, um, but I had that for the worst reason. So it was really complicated in me to to listen knowing the circumstances, but of course I could not listen because of it, it's part of my job to to listen and know everything about her and um but there's an overpreparedness danger. I think more just like a, it just hurt me to listen to her not sure. no like it was just Going back to this idea of the energy that you have to expend on a project yeah. that depletes to go th- to think about that. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it was so, um, and then anytime I would get, you know, I remember um, the sixth episode of the show is called yes. Manhandled. And it's about prom night, which is what the Office of Independent Counsel and the FBI named their sort of sting on Monica, if you will. Yeah. So Linda has lured Monica to the Pentagon City Mall. She's sitting, reading a magazine, and Linda and two FBI agents come up and flash their badges at her and take her into a hotel room. And they named it Prom Night because they thought it would be 30 minutes in a hotel room with a young girl. Um, right. It's just, like, disgusting that that is, like, the historical name of this day in her life because... They were convinced they would turn her in 30 minutes. And she held her ground for 12 hours. And mm-hmm. Ryan Murphy directed that episode. And I, mm. I'm so, we had such incredible directors on this show. Um, but working with Ryan on this episode was such a uh, meaningful moment. Uh, meaningful weeks, months. It took us so long to shoot. Um, for, I bet. And, and there would be moments where I would be sort of like, uh, how would I say it? Like really raw and, and sort of depleted and Ryan would come in and he'd be like, I kind of need you to do it again. Um, and from, you know, I need a different shot. I mean, we need to like get this reaction from Colin Hanks or from Darren or, you know, and I would just say in my head, like Monica actually had to live through this. I'm just Mm -hmm. reenacting it. So like I have to, to go again. I have to dig deeper. Wow. And it's all for her and it's all to validate what she had to go through. 
So yeah, it was such, I mean, I don't know if I'll ever have another experience like it in my life. Totally. Um, it's, it was, it's once in a lifetime for sure. Totally. It is going back to the that idea of the responsibility of it is what ups the stakes for you or forces you to work harder, right? Like it ups your work ethic. Not even, even if you didn't know Monica personally, it would still be like, you feel this responsibility to recreate this, knowing that the real version of that, of going through that is so much, well, I don't want to say more traumatic because all trauma is relative and right. we don't want to compare sure. the two, but it was real. you've never been through those hearings. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think like, yes, uh, she would, uh, one time Mar- Monica sent me, we use Marco Polo. Do you know that app where you can like send videos? Oh yeah. Yeah. She sent me a video and she was like, Hey being like, we haven't, we haven't talked in a long time. And I went to respond and then I was like in her wig and, and in the coffee and everything. And I was like, not going to respond right now. So I text cause I was like, that's too weird. So I texted it's her. Weird. It's so funny that you think we haven't spoken. Cause I talked to you all day. <laughs> Every oh day. Like I was like, you are the totally. voice in my head. And she was like laughing. Um, but you know, I would, I would, and also because of the pandemic, I was living in complete isolation. Um, so yeah. I was not interacting with anybody in any capacity unless I was at work and we were all trying so hard to keep everybody safe that yeah. it was our responsibility in some way to go home and not see any, you know, not, I'm such a rule follower and I'm very moralistic. So in general, for me, the pandemic was like, Mm. I would not take a risk under any circumstances, but even with the show, it became even more intense. And so I was living in complete isolation. So, um, not seeing anyone, not seeing anyone outside, even most of the time. So it was, uh, really just me and Monica. (laughs) Wild. (laughs) Monica was my only, my only friend to talk to. I did Zoom and FaceTime, you guys. I wasn't like, you know, not speaking to anybody, but uh, it was unique because normally you would- So unique. Shoot during the week and then you'd go up brunch with your friends on the weekend or I'd pick up my nephews from school or, you know, if you're in New York, you would, if you're doing a show, you would go see people during the day or on a Monday, you know, like you would just be living around your work schedule. But because of this- you didn't have any of that. Yeah. It was just like me and Great British Bake Off and shit's crazy. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. This is why like your notion of taking breaks between even just between takes is so important. And so like self-care, it is self-care like out of necessity. Yeah. And it was right for me. Like I am the yeah. least, I try to be like the least judgmental person. Like if you're, if what works for you is to do X, Y, or Z, if every right. respect for X, Y, or Z, as long as it's not like hurting anybody or, you know, like being yeah. respectful, like anything anyone needs to do, I have That's complete great. respect for. But for me, the most successful and like um, the way to sustain myself the longest was to like take those breaks during the day. Totally. Well, okay. I have to ask you about the humans as well, because I feel like, and I don't know how different that is comparing these two projects. It must've been, I imagine, I mean, that is a very pandemic-specific project. You guys are on one set, right, with six actors? You know, we shot it before the pandemic, which is so crazy. Okay, I see. Okay. Because it it would have been a very... Um, very easy. Yeah, I, we, we, we would... And it also feels very... I was with the, the Blake family this morning um, doing press for the humans and, and Amy... Schumer, who plays Amy Blake, um, Amy was saying it's actually really weirdly perfect for this time because the, um, so for those that don't know, The Humans is based off of the Tony Award winning play. Um, and it's about a family on Thanksgiving and the, the actual apartment, which is my character and her boyfriend played by Stephen Young's apartment is the, the setting of the Thanksgiving and it's a Lower East Side Chinatown uh, apartment. And oh, yeah. It is. And it's freaking terrifying. <laughs> it is um, <laughs> truly, you know, I know people say this a lot, but it is the, the seventh character in this yes. piece by far. And um, if those walls could talk, sort of, you know, and. and Literally, yeah. And you watch, as an audience member, you watch them, you feel them. Um, and it, you sort of feel like the walls are closing in on you. And 
So oddly enough, we feel like it's a perfect pandemic piece. And I think people are really going to feel it in a different way almost after this experience than, than they would have when we filmed it. But we actually filmed it two years ago, fall 2019. Yeah. Yeah. And it does take on a totally different, I mean, connotation, but it is the thing of like, it must've really reminded you of that theater communal collaborative experience. Oh my God. How many movies are on one set also? Um, and how many movies get to shoot in order? I mean, that was like oh, yeah. literally the dreams, like the dreamiest dream of all dreams was we, it felt mm. like we were, Amy said it today too, it felt like we were living it. It was so, um, we got rehearsal time, which never happens. Cool. Uh, Is that rehearsal with cameras or without cameras? It was, um, that's actually a really great question. So we start, we did the first week, I would say, or like five days at the table just like, you mm-hmm. know, um, reading it, talking about it, going through each scene. And then the set, like the next three or four days we did in sort of a taped out space, like of what the apartment looked gotcha. like. Um, mm. But we did not rehearse on camera at all until like the day as you normally would. But it was just, and also like the, some of the scenes are quite long and we would, we would do it all continuously. Like there's this, yeah really moving scene where we all kind of go around and say what we're grateful for and the Thanksgiving meal. And there was so much that we would be like eight, 10 minute takes. So it really yeah. felt like you were living and you had to be alive at every, every moment. Um, mm. And Stephen Karam is, is a gift. He is like, his writing is oh, yeah. so exceptional and anything that sounds improvised is not, it's actually mm very specifically written. Um, He writes in like the exact moment of a word when the other person has to start interrupting. So it's Mm. beautiful to behold the script. Um, Everything that you would think is sort of just loose people talking over one another is is orchestrated in a way. It's not improv. Um, Yeah, Uh, and he's such a dream, but uh, this is his directorial debut. And I've always, I said it from, summer of 2019 like I could just see the movie behind his eyes like he just Uh, he spoke about what he wanted and the way he communicated with us and with our incredible cinematographer and the and the sort of landscape that they created together you could just see that he could see it and that is such a beautiful thing and and such a it puts everyone at ease because that you know you're in such good hands I love this movie. I really love it. It also makes me feel so existential because it's so, I mean, it's called The Humans. It's so about, <laughs> you sort of feel yourself on the earth as you watch it. Like, you know, it's a very existential experience, God, I find. That's such a great description. Um, yeah, totally. And that spooks me out a little bit, <laughs> as it should. So as much. You, but I didn't breathe for the last 10 minutes of this yeah, movie. You'll really be reeling. And for me, you know, a great theater story is that I was going to say to work with the likes of like June Squibb and Jane, mm. and Richard Jenkins was unbelievable. Um, I didn't know this till we were shooting, but June was in the original company of Gypsy on Broadway as one of the strippers. Oh my God. Really? And I used to pretend, and she knew I was pretending, but I used to pretend to not know the words till you got to get a gimmick. So that she would <laughs> sing it with me. And I'd be like, June, what is it again? You can, uh, and she'd be like, you can, uh, you can, uh, we would sing the whole thing together. And it was honestly like my theater kid part just like exploded. But to work with June and, and Jane, who's reprising her role in, in the film and, and Richard Jenkins, I mean, it was just, I learned so much from watching them Mm. too. And sure. And Richard and the way he approaches projects and and the way he approaches the material and how he's just so natural you just believe like every word that comes out of his mouth and Jane to watch her I you know I I watched her from the audience the first time playing the role and so to watch her and to form our dynamic as mother-daughter was so Mm. beautiful and you know there are moments in the piece that are about like bodies and food and eating and there's sort of an, a very kind of te- a tense dynamic between my, my character and her character and sort of exploring that with her was really beautiful and yeah talk about sisters like amy is just like i mean the, i mean she's everything that you hope she would be 
she's the funniest, wittiest. I mean, she had us all crying and laughter even just today. Like, she's just so funny. But she's also heart-wrenching in the movie. And it's, like, I cry every time she did. Um, Her character is experiencing heartbreak, and she has this really touching phone call. And every time she would do it, we would all be crying because it was just so we all know that feeling of, of really mm-hmm. wanting to talk to someone and them just not giving you what you need from that conversation. And, and it's a beautiful film and it's, it's only the six of us in it. And it's just like, yeah. um, sort of six people, like we sort of acting as one. I can't describe it. It sort of feels like we were yeah. all in person. Yeah. And really beautifully, like you're saying, the talking over each other and like, it's a great example of people who are talking at each other, but maybe not with each other. <laughs> it's like everyone is isolated, even though they're all trapped there together. They're all individually isolated too. Which I think during the pandemic, people will really yeah. feel in a, in a new way, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's going to speak to people on a, as you said, very existential <laughs> level. <laughs> yes. And I just love this notion of like, you put it so beautifully, the idea of the putting in the energy and, and what you take out of it. Every acting role it sounds like because I always ask like what did you learn from the latest project what are you taking with you and I love this notion of it's Mm -hmm. almost a transactional thing like this is what I put in and this is what I take out I put in a bunch of physical work and get out a bunch of emotional work or vice versa like it's so interesting how one then informs the other which is all just growth as a human as a person totally I think like uh I don't know I think what I've been lucky enough to take out of almost every project I've done is like Mm -hmm. through lifelong friends, which for me is like the, or family people that feel like family. And, um, I, I, that to me is the greatest gift. Cause as I said, I'm people are the thing that matters to me most in life above any accolade or this or that or whatever it is. So the fact that like, you know, we've kept our Blake family group text for two years and like, but like, you know, that we all stayed in touch and wanted to be there for each other during the pandemic. And, you know, um, Paulson is like stuck with me for life. Like, you know, they're, just, they're those are the, that is what I really truly take from experiences. But I think if totally. speaking on like an, as an actor, um, Monica changed me forever, 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 forever. I think um, I, I was challenged in ways. I, I pushed myself in ways I didn't know were almost possible. Mm-hmm. I, I grew so much in my own capabilities. I was a producer for the first time. I mean, so much of it yes. was sort of a marathon of challenges. And the feeling on the other side of, of doing something like that is, I'm still no. not, I still haven't processed it. I mean, we were, all, no. I mentioned we were all together the other night and we were all like, still not over it. Like I am yeah. still very much in it. Um, It'd be weird if you were over it. Like, it makes sense. That you're... Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's such a cool, it's such a pivotal, this is such a, impeachment is obviously a turning point. It's going to be something you look back on and see it as a career turning point. Um, <laughs> while we're there, can I ask you about Hello, Dolly? Can I ask you about Merrily We Roll Along? <laughs> I, I, you can't talk about Merrily We Roll Along. I can't really talk about Merrily, but I can talk about Dolly. I can tell you anything you want to know about Dolly. I'm sorry, funny girl. Oh, not Hello Dolly. Hello Dolly. I can tell you anything you want to know about Hello Dolly. I saw Hello Dolly. It was um, fantastic. Um, funny girl, we have not started. It's currently November when we're having this conversation. We don't start till February. Um, I'm sort of in my own little, um, the prep for the prep, if you will. That over-preparedness um, thing, yes. Exactly. Um, so I'm <laughs> doing sort of like uh, my own boot camp of sorts, um, but... I we don't start formal rehearsals till February and then yeah and then just the train the whirlwind yeah yeah I mean and you dressed up as Barbara Streisand and Funny Girl at like age three is that true I did it's it's true you manifested I can show you the photo um it is uh surreal I mean yeah when I say like I'm not being I'm not exaggerating when I say that I can't remember a thought before that thought. Like I was three like that. I think that's when you form your first memories. Um, mm. And I, I don't, this was my very first dream. Ah. Um, <laughs> get verklempt every time I talk about it, but you know, it, uh, 
which also means like it is so daunting in every way because it's like a forever life thing, you know, it's sure. but it is exhilarating in every sense of the word. And I just cannot wait to, to meet my new team. Like as we were talking about, like, you know, theater, I mean, like my, my friends from Hello Dolly are still my closest people. Like there is no, um, there's no bond like that in some capacity. Um, as I said, Taylor literally had to like peel me off the floor many times after I'd fallen. So there's like a certain trust that comes with people like that, that, um, you know, and, uh, so I can't wait to meet my team. I feel like that's the thing that I just, I wake up every day excited for is like, who is this new family of mine going to be? And I already know they're going to be exceptionally talented, but I can't wait to get to know them as people and, and bring Fanny's story back. Um, back to, you know, 2021 audiences and, and honor, um, the woman that Fanny Bryce was and the, and the legacy that she, the legacy she left behind in the sort of path that she carved. Um, Absolutely. she was such a trailblazer and, and cracked so many glass ceilings and, and I certainly would not be able to do what I do if it wasn't for her. And so it's sort of, you know, yeah. um, talk about responsibility. <sighs> I know. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, so I'm just, I'm so excited and, and Ramin and Jane and Jared and it just, it's going to be, it's going to be thrilling. So cool. It's really, thank you so much for letting us into like your artistic process, which is so, so based on, on these relationships that you form Yeah. in the process. That sounds like I can see that in your work. I can see why those kinds of intimate relationships like directly inform the creation of like a character or like a staying in the moment, like on screen. So Beanie, thank you. Um, I have to ask you one, a couple last silly backstagey questions. Okay. What is your worst audition horror story? We haven't talked about auditions. Okay. Okay, wait, give me another one and then I'll, I'll come back. <laughs> and the other question that we always ask is what is one performance that you think every actor should see and why? Oh my God, these are so hard. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. The, the performance, and it could be performance from any medium. Like if you could go back in time. Yeah, it could totally be theater. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be a performance really. Oh, okay. Somebody once picked a documentary, you know. Oh, that's so cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is so hard. I know. I knew that the favorite performance would stump you. It stumps everyone, but oh I know you have your favorites. Like that list of like dream actors to work with, it makes sense to me that Sarah Paulson's at the top. Yes. But I know that the list is long. Well, you know, honestly, my current answer would be Adrian and Tina just because it's so fresh in my mind and I've never seen yeah. anything. I mean, literally, vocally, physically, emotionally, I've never seen anyone like leave it all out there. Um mm-hmm. And as I said, I saw her second to last show. So I imagine that maybe it was part of it, but it also seems like she did that every night. Um, yeah, yeah. But the show that sort of can never get out of my heart, like the theater going experience that never leaves is seeing the normal heart in on, on Broadway. Um, oh, sure. Mm. I went with my best friend and he like literally had to lean into my lap because he was crying. So like it was so, um, and no one moved for like 10 minutes after they out and the and the house lights went up like no one from the audience and that as a collective as that group of actors I couldn't put it on one person but that Mm -hmm. story um great and the way they brought it to life I I just would say everyone should utilize if you live in New York the Lincoln Center archive because totally it is heaven for anyone that loves theater and you just need a library card so it's super easy. That's such a great point. Cause that is a way to see a lot of like people's favorite performances. If they're theater, you yeah. can actually watch them. They're accessible. Um, yeah. I'm auditions. I don't know. <laughs> oh. Um, oh, well I can, I can tell you a, a worst receiving a, a, a role story. Does that count? Yeah. 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 Sometimes. Yeah. Nine. Um, my kids theater was doing bye bye birdie. And I was like, <laughs> all prepared to be Kim Actia or even like Ursula, like one of her best friends. I was like, here we go. Like, you know, I'm about to sing how lovely nine-year-old diva. Like I am like ready, like, here we go. Um, and 
our director would read them out because we were like nine, you know. And, right. and she was like, and Beanie, you're going to play Conrad Birdie. And I oh. stood up and I said, no, I'm not. And oh, I my God. <laughs> hysterically crying and sat on the stairs outside and refused to speak to anybody. Oh, no. But then, you know what? <laughs> I, I, I wiped away my tears and I, my mom went and got me an Elvis wig and I, uh, rocked it out. So <laughs> I bet you nailed it. Yeah. I was, um, really not having that choice. I'm, uh, <laughs> really so not funny. having that choice. I'm trying to think of other, like, there's so many performances. There are so many performances. I can't even, comedically, I would say Melissa McCarthy and Bridesmaids is like, I, I know that's a formative movie for I you. I cannot yeah. get away from yeah. every choice she makes. I just look th- I think about them all the time. Totally. Totally. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I would say that, yeah, not the normal heart as a piece like and then the recent one is Adrian because I I literally <laughs> my dad and I cannot stop talking about it. He's like, "Bean, remember when she did like we just have been like <laughs> going into She did that every night. I yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. Um so yeah, thank you so much. This was so fun. This was so fun, Beatty. Thank you so much. You made this so easy. You answered all my questions before I even asked them. You're the best. <laughs> I'm so glad. Sorry, <laughs> I talk too much. Okay. Thank you so much. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.